Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 1. I've entitled this Life's Most Basic Wisdom. And, you know, the, the, there's not a, um, an accident that Psalm 1 is Psalm 1, that it is the first of the Psalms. It's, it's the headliner. You know, when you go to the newspaper every day, uh, those of you who still get a newspaper, you know, the most important things that the newspaper has are on the front page, the headline, the first one. And, and there's a sense in which this, this is true of the Psalm. Here. This is a, a headliner, an introduction, and, and one commentator said that, that all the other psalms are an exposition of this psalm. And so here we have the most basic wisdom of life laid out for us, and may the Lord give us ears to hear and grant that, that we can take it on board and grasp it and apply it to our lives. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant, infallible word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning to us. What is God's ultimate purpose for us? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is part of the creed of this church, begins, first question, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, what is the chief end of man? The answer, of course, is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify means to honor God. The Old Testament word for glory is weight, literally weight. Um, God is glorified when we acknowledge His weightiness, His importance. When you honor someone, you're highlighting their importance. But our purpose is not only to honor God, but also to enjoy Him. Now, it's one thing to honor someone because you recognize that they are worthy to be honored. But you may not even like that person. You're just giving credit where credit is due. And I think that's why the writers of the confession have given them both together, glorify and enjoy. Because it's altogether different to honor and enjoy someone. You're, yes, you're giving credit where credit is due. You're honoring those to whom honor is due, but you're happy about it. You're excited about that person. You're delighting in it. You're a fan of the person, and you're rejoicing in their honor. That's the chief end, the chief purpose, our ultimate aim in life to glorify and enjoy God. And when we glorify God and enjoy Him, we are doing what God made us to do. 
you know, when you, when you have uh, the right tool for the job, you know, there's, there's, that, that's a pleasure, especially if it's a difficult job. I used to like to change the brakes on my car, and when I lived in England, we had a Volvo, and you have to have a special tool to be able to change the brakes on a Volvo. And I went and purchased this particular tool, but not before I tried to do it in many different ways. And it never worked, and it was terribly frustrating. But when I got that tool, man, it just flew by. I, I got everything done. The right tool for the job. You know, there's just something great about that, something satisfying about that. Same is true for humanity. When we are hitting on our purpose, then we're most fulfilled, we're most happy. And that's what this psalm is getting at, what the confession of faith is getting at. We're hitting on what it means to meet our human potential when we glorify and enjoy God. And that's what makes us truly happy. I've given you the quote, if you have one of the outlines, from C.S. Lewis. He says this in Mere Christianity. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, and invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Well, as he says, because Adam and Eve decided to reject God in the Garden of Eden, humanity is now born with a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. It is at least a propensity to be centered on ourselves instead of God. Like he says, we want to be God. We want to be the center of the universe. Now, the reason Jesus came into the world is to rescue us from that, to rescue us from our sin completely. He lived... He died, he rose again for the very purpose to free us from the guilt of sin. We're forgiven in Christ and we're declared righteous in God's sight. But he also lived, died, and rose again to free us from our bondage to sin. Sin is no longer our master. Jesus is. And we can appreciate that and, and honor him and enjoy him now. And his purpose in us is to get us to the point where we are completely free of sin. That's what he's doing in our lives. Sinclair Ferguson says, God is a single-minded God. He is absolutely determined to make me holy. What possesses me to think that I can be indifferent to, or worse, refuse and resist his good purpose? And if the all-wise and all-loving one has set his heart on this, why, should, why would I want anything different for myself? 
How foolish I would be to resist what he means to employ every means at his disposal, which after all is everything, to bring me to the goal of holiness. Holiness is that important. Are you therefore striving for it? Well, that brings us to Psalm 1, in which the writer describes for us two ways or two paths, that of the righteous and wise, and then that of the wicked and the foolish. I say wise and foolish because this particular psalm is uh, of a particular genre of psalm called wisdom psalms. This is the, the most basic wisdom the world can give us here in these six verses. Jesus picked up this very theme in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Robert Frost captured it in his famous poem, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Which path are you on? Which road are you taking? That's the question before us today. And to encourage us on this wise way, this narrow way, the psalmist calls us to consider the two paths. Three things. First, consider the blessedness of the righteous as opposed to the wicked. And we see that here in the first two verses. He begins by saying, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, etc. Now, blessed means supremely happy, fulfilled. The, the word that, it's at, that is at the root of the Hebrew term for blessedness, uh, that word means to go straight, to advance, to make progress. So blessedness, by extension, means uh, growth or reaching your p potential, uh, being fulfilled getting to that place that you're desiring everything that is, that is worthy. You're fulfilled in that. So that's the idea here by, by the term blessedness. There's this movement towards the good. But you'll notice on the flip side of that here how the, the, the other way is described. The way that the righteous do not take, described for us in verse 1 and 2, uh, he, the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now if you think about that, you're first of all walking, then standing, then sitting. There's no progress here. There's a, I think there's a little hidden meaning there that the blessed life is one of progress, of growth, of fulfillment. The, the way of the wicked is one where you come to a standstill, where you come to nothing. So blessedness, fulfillment is communicated here. And he draws a distinction between the wicked and the righteous in this way. Um, First, true happiness and fulfillment does not come from walking in the counsel of the wicked. This has to do with our thinking. You know, if you want to walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
what do you have to do, really, in, in our world? You don't really have to do anything. You don't have to make any effort. A, it's our default way of thinking as human beings. But every message that you get from culture, from television, from radio, from the world around you, is the counsel of the wicked. It's the common wisdom of the world that's out there. It's the world saying, here's the, here's the way that everybody should live and, and the way that's the path of least resistance. You can just close your eyes and your ears and your mind and you will follow this path, path the counsel of the wicked. So true happiness and fulfillment does not come from walking in the counsel of the wicked. Rather, it's, a, it's the, the one who delights in the law of God, who meditates day and night on the law of God. See, here are your thinking to be truly blessed and to reach your fulfillment. Your thinking has to be centered upon what God wants, the law of God, His revealed will towards us. And not only delight in it, but meditate it. Meditate on it day and night. Now, on the New Testament side of, of Psalm 1, we have Jesus, the cross, the Word made flesh. So the one who is truly fulfilled and wise has his thinking centered on Christ, on, on what Christ has done, what Christ has accomplished, and what Christ desires. In our study of 1 John, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You know, if you, if you want to abide in Christ, do the commandments. See, we're listening to him. We are loving him and delighting in him. He is the center of our being. And, and it's not just that default way of thinking that we go with the world. It requires that we make a choice in our thinking. But also in our behaving. He goes on to say, uh, blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Once you start thinking like the wicked, you find yourself standing in that way of sinners. That's where you find yourself. You followed the path, and now here you are amongst the sinners. And then thirdly, true fulfillment comes from delighting in the law of God, not from sitting in the seat of mockers. Mockery, scornful derision. These people, uh, they now belong there. They've embraced it fully. And they look at the way of God's Word, the way that God desires, and they look at it with derision, in mockery even. See, this, this psalm is, is asking us, what is our ultimate allegiance? Where, where, where does our ultimate allegiance lie? Is it with the world? With the counsel of the world? With the, the ways of the world? Or is it with the Lord? Is it meditating upon His Word day and night? I think Americans today, we, we just don't read and think like maybe people in a previous generation did. I did I've been digging back into a, a six-volume set someone gave me of Puritan sermons. And man, these guys can wring everything out of every word in Scripture. They loved God's Word, and they delighted in it, and they dwelt on it, and they preached it thoroughly and completely. Uh, sometimes ad nauseum, because they went on and on for hours on end. 
but it's so rich and full. But they were delighting in God's law, and they meditated on it, and they could wring everything out of it. We can't even pick up our Bibles. Uh, how often do we go weeks on end without ever reading the Scriptures? And we've got Bibles all over the house. We've got them on our phone even, where we can have it with us at all times. And we don't meditate it because we don't even read it. The wise path, the fulfilling path, is to make that Christ and his word the center of our attention and to live it out as well. So we need to consider the blessed life. It's, it's following this path, not the course of the world. Secondly, consider the prosperity of the righteous as opposed to the wicked. And we see that here in verses 3 and 4. The prosperity. Um, that word prosper is found in verse 3. He's talking about this, uh, this wise man, this blessed one, this righteous one. He's like this tree that's flourishing. In all that he does, the end of verse 3 says, he prospers. And that word prosper is a lot like the, same, the word for blessed. It's a, it's a completely different word, but it has a similar meaning. The word prosper means to advance, to make progress, to succeed, to be profitable. Now think about the, the, meta, the simile he's given us here. Like a tree planted by streams of water. Now a tree next to a stream, you know, we all uh, grew up in the south, we got rivers and we see trees there. A tree planted by a stream has a constant source of nourishment at its disposal. And its roots go down and it draws the water out of the ground and it grows. And the picture you have here is of a tree that is, that is uh, flourishing and prospering and making progress. And it is profitable because it yields its fruit. It is never goes without fruit. And its leaf does not wither. It doesn't dry up, but it's a, a vital, fruitful, wonderful tree. And that's the picture that the psalmist gives us of the, the wise man, the, the righteous man, the one that is pursuing Christ and his word. He's producing fruit. He's vi vital in his spiritual life. That's laid uh, against, verse 4, the wicked. They're not like this at all, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, what is chaff? You know, they, they have machines that do this now, but sometimes maybe you've seen a picture or maybe you've seen someone actually uh, sifting the, the weed or the corn to get the chaff out of it. The chaff is just the stuff that you don't want, the husks. You know, for example, in the case of corn, you know, parts of the plant that are not the kernels. But what they do is they would get uh, in a windy place and they would throw the corn up in the air. The corn is heavy. It would fall back down to the ground. But the, the, the parts that they didn't want, the husks and, and other debris, would blow away. It, it would just be blown away and you'd be left with nothing but the corn. That's the picture here. The wicked are like chaff. They don't have any roots. They aren't grounded. They aren't secure. They aren't flourishing. They're dead. They're lightweight. They're vain. And they're rootless. And they'll be blown away. And they'll come to nothing. What a vivid picture the psalmist gives us here of true wisdom. 
The wisdom of following Christ, of following His Word. True wisdom, following Christ and His Word, means fruitfulness, vitality, security, provision. But following the wicked, it's rootlessness, it's vanity, and its end is destruction. The chaff blows away and it rots and it goes back to dust. So consider the prosperity of the righteous and what it means to pursue Christ and His Word. You know, we can be distracted by so many things, but if we really want to be fulfilled, if we really want to prosper in our lives, we've got to turn our attention to Christ and His Word. We can't neglect that and expect to be fulfilled or or expect to prosper in our lives. So the psalmist is telling us to consider the prosperity of the righteous as opposed to the wicked. You know, the world throws out its wisdom. The world tells us, hey, this is the way to live, to be fulfilled. But it comes to nothing. It's chaff in the wind. And that brings us to the third point. Consider the end of the righteous as opposed to the wicked. And we see that here in verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There's a, there's a day of judgment coming. You know, they can deny it all they want in the world, live as if that's not an inevitability, but it's coming. And we will all be under the gaze of God. And we will stand before Him. But the wicked will not be able to stand. The wicked will come to destruction. They will not be counted among those who are righteous. That's the second part of that verse, uh, verse 5. Sinners will not be standing in the gathering or the assembly of all those who are righteous. It's the picture you have in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. The goats are not concluded with the sheep. The sheep are welcomed into the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of God, and the goats are sent to perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, verse 6, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, sometimes in Scripture the word know, I mean, not only does, does God know because He knows everything, He sees everything, but there's a nuance that, we can, that, that this word know has uh, here in the verse. It means to approve of or delight in. God cares about the way of the righteous. He, he owns that way. He delights in that way. And when we're walking out on it, He sees us walking on it. He he delights in us walking on it. It gives, it gives him pleasure that we're walking on it. And those people who are on it, he identifies with, or else they wouldn't be on that road at all. So God knows. He knows the way of the righteous. But the way the wicked are going will perish. It will perish. And that word perish means to come to an end, a dead end. A dead end that comes to nothing, that comes to ruin, Loss, frustration. You think about the whole uh, uh, idea of movement here. Blessing. You know, there, there's progress, there's fruitfulness, there's fulfillment. Prospering, there is, there is progress, there is fruitfulness, there is uh, 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 an advancement in life. But every time the wicked are described here, it comes to an end. It comes to nothing. It comes to destruction, just like the chaff that flies in the wind and and is no more. 
As we consider these things, first of all, for those of us who are believers, may we be encouraged to to endure on the path of the righteous. It's easy for us to check out, for us to become lazy, for us to become jaded or discouraged and to stop pursuing Christ, His kingdom, and following His word. This calls us to remember what we're missing out on. Jesus' life was one of perfect obedience in every moment of every day he lived, in all phases. And his life was one of joy. Even in the midst of suffering, he had the life of joy. God's commandments were not a burden to him. Writer of Hebrews says that he, he endured the ultimate obedient thing that he was called to do, and that was die on the cross. And he did it for the joy that was set before him. It gave him joy to obey that command to lay down his life for us. It's a lesson we can draw as Christians. God calls us to this path to follow him, to take up our cross and follow him just as Jesus did, because he's the the ultimate psalmist, as the quote on the front of the bulletin is, because he fulfilled this psalm perfectly. And to to follow his example uh, is the encouragement we want to have today uh, as we consider uh, all the opposition and difficulties that we face in the Christian life and the, the temptation we have to be discouraged. And then for those of us here who might be on the wrong path, might be on the path of the wicked, you might not have given it much thought at all. You're just basically in default mode. And you haven't really considered the Lord. You haven't considered this path of righteousness. You haven't considered that there is a way that God has given us that we might be truly blessed and truly happy. My desire for everyone here today, Christian or not, is that you would get this happiness. Some people have lost even the idea that life can be happy, that, that there is fulfillment in life. There is, and it's found in Christ. As the writer of Hebrews says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May we join Jesus on that road less traveled, that narrow way that few find. And may we point others to this path. And and if you're not on that path today, may God grant you grace to call upon him, and he will save you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to set our eyes upon Christ today. As we come to the table... We do so in remembrance of Christ who laid down his life for us. Lord, we pray that you would encourage us not only with the word that we've just heard, but also encourage us as we consider Christ and what he's done for us, Uh, especially in, in him laying down his life for sinners such as we are, that we might not be bound by 
the, the path that includes the, the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinfulness and sinners and, and ultimately mocking and scorn, which will return upon those heads. But we pray, Lord, that you would rescue us and encourage us and help us to experience the blessedness, the fruitfulness, the fulfillment of being on your path. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.